Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Cowgirls and Indians. I am the cowgirl, Christina Cook. I am Keith Nobles, the Indian. <laughs> and we're here. We're, we're walking you through a framework from which to understand a bit better, we hope, to understand a bit better what it is that we see in the news every night and what it is that, that we see you know, progressives and Republicans doing and progressives and conservatives, I should say, to, to make the true dichotomy, you know, and, and how each of us understands the world and why that drives the behavior. And so that's what we've been covering. This is episode three. We covered in the last couple episodes, first of all, what the hell's going wrong? <laughs> that, was, that was episode one and talking about, you know, a little bit of, of what the problems are that we're facing. Then on our last episode, episode two, we talked about the, I'm going to put air quotes around this, the new man is sort of the philosophical basis for what progressives are looking to create. And so, Keith, I, I want to get a little bit more into that uh, about this new man and, and the progressive movement and, and just talk about kind of what's their game plan, I guess. Do they have a game plan? Of course, they have a game plan. The game plan is well known. I think uh, the first episode we discussed a little bit about the revolutions of 1848 in Europe. OK, it, it's the same game plan. <laughs> from 1848. Right. Hasn't changed. <laughs> it hasn't really changed. Same game plan in every place. Uh, communism has been attempted. Same game plan as Nazi Germany. Same game plan as fascist Italy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So these are all progressive <clears throat> movements. These, They've all followed the same path. Yeah, they all spring from the same philosophy. They're just uh, these different ideologies are just different strategies to attain that same goal of creating a new man and a new society. They view... The classical school of thought, the Christian school of thought, which are not the same, but overlap considerably, as chaotic. They view those, those schools of thought of grappling with the truth and grappling with how to implement and execute truth to produce chaos. Right. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, how, how they view the world. They may not use those words, but philosophically, that's, that's how they viewed it. So when they say that they're seeking a new world order... There's emphasis on order. Yeah, very much an emphasis on order. Okay. If you look, <laughs> progressives really don't like to hear this, but it's true. <laughs> if you look at what progressives say they want, it's remarkably similar to late 19th century Prussia. Okay. They want the social welfare system. They want all those things that late 19th century Prussia had. The uh, king of Prussia, and then after 1871, the Kaiser. In the wake of those 1848 revolutions, Prussia instituted very much the welfare state that the school of thought wanted. Right. I mean, that, those 1848 revolutions, we really underestimate how important they are in history, in my opinion, because they, they really struck fear into those European monarchies. Interesting. They, they did. And the European monarchies reacted in different ways. The uh, Romanovs and Habsburgs became even more reactive than they were before. Okay. But Germany, Prussia and the Germany implemented this welfare state. So there was state-funded health care okay. and workers' rights and organized labor and all these different things that the progressives wanted then and remarkably similar to what progressives say they want now. But if you look back and go, what are progressives in the United States asking for their agenda, their public agenda in 2022? It's remarkably similar to late 19th century Germany. Interesting. It is. It, and they call it progress. That's the funny part. <laughs> Right, <laughs> but but it, but it well, really is. But to be fair, we're asking for the same things that the Greeks were asking for three thousand years ago. So, well, you know, actually, we've, we've advanced past the Greeks. But <laughs> you know, but that's the whole point to this to the philosophy that we adhere to mm -hmm. is that we're always pursuing the truth. 
we're never so arrogant to say we've arrived at the final truth. We being more conservatives truth, or we being humans? Well, we being people who subscribe to this philosophy. To this conservative philosophy. Yes. Okay, I'm yes. just trying to make sure that you I'm know, on the right side of the understand. history here. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, if I say, well, this is true, maybe in a year or a hundred years, we'll find out some more information that kind of modifies what I think is true. Right. And that's fair enough. That's just the advancement of, of humanity. Well, it seems to me, I mean, the folks that I know are, are intellectually honest enough to look back over the progress of history and say, okay, so they believe the world was flat and then Galileo came along, proved otherwise. They put him to death and then he was proven correct over and over and over well, again. Yeah, actually, Galileo, that, that the universe revolved around the earth. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> it but, was a long night. Let me just, <laughs> let me just start there. <laughs> but but, but the, the point is taken, right? We're always advancing. But here's one of the things people really need to understand about the philosophy underlying progressivism and what that philosophy believes, that progress is automatic. Right. And progress is not automatic. Progress is a result of what each individual person does each day. Progress is not a given. Progress is not something that, we, uh, that we're entitled to as human beings. It's something we have to make happen. So society isn't automatically going to evolve into something greater. There's no. Social Darwinism doesn't really work that way. No, no. And uh, okay. human beings react primarily to incentives. Charlie Munger said, show me the incentives and I will show you the outcome. Absolutely, right. right? Uh, never a more true statement. And in the system we advocate for, which is most people commonly called liberty, that the role of government is to protect rights and property. Right. Okay? Within that system, you are incentivized to be whatever you wish to be. Right? If you want to be, start a great company and be CEO of that company, you are perfectly entitled to take your shot at doing that. Right. right? Nobody in that system is going to tell you you can't do that. If you want to be an artist, go be an artist, take your shot at it. Your internal motivations and your internal desires are what rule your path. Yeah. And the whole idea there that with government out of the picture of determining economic outcomes for specific people, that there's little to no incentive to game the system, right. to game the government for financial gain. And so you're incentivized to look at your own life honestly and what your talents are, what you're capable of and what you want to do. Right. Right. That's that's the incentive there. And vain, we believe education should be classical. And classical education, the emphasis is on what is it that causes people to thrive and be happy exactly. and be successful. Exactly. And that's what we should be teaching people, not some of the stuff that is being taught today. <laughs> <laughs> that was put so diplomatically. Well, <laughs> a little more, a little more beer will be less diplomatic. Okay, <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. And that is the case. I mean, you know, I myself, more than fifty times around the sun, I've been okay, and I have just started pursuing my own autodidactical, basically classical education. Joined an online great books forum. We're reading the Odyssey now. We're up to book two of the Western canon. <laughs> to be fair, we've only been in it like three months. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> but, you know, taking cues from Mortimer Adler and, and the whole, I'm going to get the word wrong, but, you know, the whole classical education model that he really advocated for at the University of Chicago in the early 19th or 20th century. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of value 
to be added there yes. by going back and looking and seeing that, you know, yes, we've been studying these questions since basically the beginning of time. No, we haven't come up with all the answers yet, but we've got clues and signposts that point us in that direction of human thriving. We definitely right? know what does not cause happiness. There you go. It's <laughs> very true. And it's important to understand that the, the people like Hegel and Marx and Engels refuted that whole classical model. They believed that it was, like I said, it was chaotic. And modern progressives, as modern communists, Nazis, fascists of the last hundred years, have believed that it's evil. It was a source of evil in the world, not that it was grappling for the truth. Right. And it's just ironic. It's, it's nonsensical. Here, here's an example. And we all have heard this, that if you don't believe in this particular progressive view of history, you're a racist. Right. Right. Okay, and that the source of racism was this classical school of thought, when in reality, this classical school of thought is what abolished racism, what abolished slavery. So some smart people in the world today who study such things think the number of slaves in the world today is probably north of 20 million. What? North of 20 million slaves in the world today. And most of those slaves are in places like Africa, Southern Asia, etc. Wow. Okay. But here, here's the irony of the, the progressive claims about racism, slavery, and classical thought. Every place classical thought took grip, took hold, the United States, Canada, Western Europe, right. Australia, okay? the places where this classical school of thought took hold, you will not find a single slave today. Right. Right. The only places slavery exists are places that rejected that classical school of thought. And progressive's basic model is to reject that classical school of thought because it is responsible for slavery, not that it had eradicated slavery. And of course, we have endless examples of these movements that come from this philosophy who enslaved people. (laughs) Slave labor was mandatory in nearly all of these systems. Every place that this school of thought, this progressive school of thought took hold. Let's categorize some of those because, okay, first of all, the, the American South, prior to the Civil War, was run by Democrats. Yes, it was. Okay. It was. I mean, let's just be honest. The history of racism in the United States is the history of the Democratic Party. And the history of the Democratic Party is the history of racism in the United States. That's just what it is. They're one and the same. They're one and the same. Right. And this whole, well, the party switched roles in the 60s and 70s. And it's just nonsense. It is absolutely nonsense. Anybody who cares to can Google Jimmy Carter, Walter Mondale, Confederate flag, and see a picture of Jimmy Carter, Walter, Walter Mondale, standing in front of a Confederate flag at a rally. Right. Jimmy Carter was the last president to openly ask for white supremacist vote. I mean, Dick Gephardt, who was quite a prominent congressman in the 80s and 90s, campaigned in front of Confederate flags. Bill Clinton handed out Confederate, not personally, but at his campaign rallies, right. uh, was handed out Confederate memorabilia with his name on it. Al Gore, when he ran for president. At campaign rallies, was hand, people were handed out Confederate memorabilia with Al Gore's name on it. Right. I mean, this whole switching parties thing is just absurd. Well, it's absolutely nonsense. It, Blame it, it on Nixon. And it's, that's it, it's absolutely idiotic. nonsense. And never did a Republican win a majority of the Southern states until Ronald Reagan in 1980. He won 44 states. Right. So, yeah, it's just progressivism must rely on this faux history, this fake history, which is sometimes... They just make things up. But more often than not, progressive view of history is the omission of facts and data that will lead people to conclusions different than progressives wish them to draw. <laughs> that's, that's all it is. Bingo. <laughs> yeah. And this is all the 1619 Project does. Exactly. Right? I mean, the men, I mean, let's be clear, right? 
We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the creator with certain and unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That that ended slavery right right there. Did it end at the day it was written? No, but that statement ended slavery. That statement changed the world. But the progressive responses, but the guys who wrote that owed slaves. So obviously they didn't mean slaves. That's their that's their argument. Well, no, that's exactly their argument. And then people, uh, there were Southern Democrat politicians who made that argument in the first half of the 19th century. It didn't apply to slaves. Well, you know, George Washington frees slaves. Right. Right. Thomas Jefferson struggled with that question his entire life. Mortal human being. <laughs> yes. Who had exactly right. Great talents and great failings. Exactly. Yeah. And if you look at the Constitutional Convention and they considered banning slavery in Georgia and South Carolina, both said they would walk out, and not join the union. Right. And they voted for unity over slavery and agreed to table the issue for 20 years. 20 years later to the day, the United States banned the slave trade. It took another 60 years to actually end slavery. But one by one by one, states ended slavery until you had a series of events that led to war. But yeah, you to understand, this was not a defense of slavery. This was what ended slavery. It was that statement. <laughs> ended slavery in not just the United States, but around the world. Exactly. I mean, this is, at least since Jesus, this has got to be the most important thing said in the history of humanity. Yeah. Because for the first time, and if you want to root, I know a great number of people, especially progressives, take offense at the idea that America is exceptional. That sentence is why America is exceptional. Well, that's exactly right. That's in my mind, that's one of the reasons. I mean, that is that is probably the foremost, the most preeminent reason. But uh, the other thing, and our friend Tom often says this as well, America is the only country founded on that idea right there. Exactly. And so that's that founding is not an ethnographic founding. It is not a demographic founding. It is a people who have made an an agreement and accord that this statement is going to rule how we make decisions going forward. That's what makes it exceptional. No other country has done that. No, exactly. And the progressive argument that we have failed to live up to that is true. Yeah. We're, We're flawed people, but that's not the point. The point is, we have strived to live up to that. We fought a civil war and maybe as many as 720,000 people died so we could live up to that. We banished Jim Crow after another 100 years, not Jim Crow, another Democrat Party idea. Right? Um, <laughs> you know, it took 100, year, 100 more years to, to get rid of that. But it's the striving for making that real in both government and society rather than the progressive view that this should be renounced. The progressive view that it's false that all men are created equal with certain unalienable rights, that government needs to make you equal, that you're not created equal. But isn't it the, the progressive's view that, you know, yes, we're flawed. We failed to make this happen. Therefore, creation of the new man will make it happen. Isn't that basically what underlies what they're saying? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's the basic argument. Okay. And of course, last episode, we went through the flaws in creating the, the new man. And they're numerous. <laughs> they, well, <laughs> they are numerous and dangerous. Well, it's not just that. They're, they're fatal. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's a mid-19th century German belief of what human nature is. Right. And talk about not following the science. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the last 150 years, we have learned so much about human nature. Right. And what really makes us tick and how we really operate. Right. Yeah, and the idea that you could have experts and a bureaucracy dictating your life for you to have maximum happiness. 
is beyond absurd. Yeah. But that's that's the basic model. It, it really is. So they've got a game plan to get there. Yes. Right. Yes. And I mean, it's that's like you said. I mean, this we've seen this this enacted numerous times throughout history, especially since the 1850s, in terms of people trying to create this new man failing. The next group stands up and says, "Oh, we can do it better," and they fail. And the next group says, "Well, they just didn't do it right." That's always the argument. They didn't do it right. They had the wrong people. Yeah. Whatever that is. Yeah. Being the truth, there are no right people. That's kind of the point of the whole United States Constitution is that yeah, there's no nobody right people. can be trusted with that kind of power. Well, it's not just nobody can be trusted with it, which is very true. It's that no one is entitled to it. Right. And, and this, this basic belief progressives have that they can set up arbitrary standards for who is entitled to that power. And then they themselves choose to fulfill the standards they arbitrarily created it's arguing they are entitled to that power. They, they are don't not. believe they're arbitrary. Uh, they believe they're they're supported by science and data and you know and and credentials and uh, but, power and but ultimately well yes but ultimately all of that is arbitrary and ultimately they understand that they understand it's all arbitrary. Do they? I think they really do. Huh? They just think the arbitrariness is superior to the chaos. <laughs> they they do. <laughs> Why? Because because they imposed order on the chaos. It's better than chaos that imposes a natural order. Yes. That's insane. Well, yes, by any (laughs) rational standard, it's insane. But as we discussed in the previous episodes, these are people who have abandoned the concept of objective truth and objective reality. Right. So you abandon the whole idea that it's insane. And they believe the truth is unknowable. Well, well, it's not that. that It only exists within you. Well, they believe the truth is creatable. Right. Right. That enough government power convincing enough people that something is true makes that thing true. That that stands in complete defiance of the classical school of thought. Right. That there is truth out there. It's objective. It's real. Right. It can be known. It can be attained. We can we can know what's true. We may not ever know everything that's true, but we can certainly find things that are true. And yes, this progressive school of thought is why you get my truth, his truth, her truth, their right. truth, live truth, experience truth, blah, 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 blah. Because, yeah, they don't believe there is an objective truth. Their word truth means so many things that are not truth. They means experience. It means it means feelings. It means it means desires, whatever, it means, whatever they want at the moment. It, it means whatever leads them to power to create the new man in the new society. Right. That's what truth is. So, so creating that power, that's got to be the first step yes. in, in their game plan. So, yes. how, so I think probably everybody listening to this, all 20 people. Oh, <laughs> this is our third episode. We have tens of thousands by now. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> everybody listening to this can probably identify exactly what that looks like in real life. But let's let's talk about it a little bit, because so we've just been through an election. Um, you know, so we've we've seen some rather odd electoral patterns. We've seen people who just flaunt the law yes. and absolutely don't care about obeying the law. We've seen with FTX, for example, that's as a fraud examiner, that's that's a story that's oh, yeah, that's really, really perked my perked my uh, my antenna up, you know, with this this insufferable circle of of money laundering fraud that's only benefiting the Democrat Party and these progressives getting them elected. You know, all of this is their pursuit of power. 
and they will rationalize that all way in pursuit of power. It's the rationalization that I want to delve into a little bit because it's to me and to you and to anybody that I care to spend any amount of time with longer than 10 seconds, flaunting the law and, you know, uh, circumventing reality, circumventing voters' will, circumventing all of these things uh, is abhorrent to my soul and I will not do it. You know, I just, my, my self-integrity, my self-esteem cannot withstand that kind of a, that kind of an attack self-imposed as it would have, would be if I were to engage in those things. These people don't have a problem with it. No, they don't. So what are they saying to themselves? Well, so we think we go back to delegitimizing the existing culture as a first step, right? In this case, if you really do think Republicans are these vile, evil people. Say that one more time. Uh, Republicans really are these vile, evil people. Okay. Right? No, it's easy. Yeah. Uh, what do we have to do to defeat these people because they're evil and vile? You have, you have the moral, the moral authority to do such things. Yeah, it's a moral imperative. imperative. Right. Exactly. To defeat these people because they're vile and evil. Right. Now, never mind that all your accusations of vile and evil are premised on bullshit. <laughs> right? Well, an often projection. Yeah, well, yes. Very often projection. Exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, start there, right? So I, I have a moral imperative to defeat these people with whatever means are required. And to your point about projection, it's not a hint of self-awareness or irony there Never. at all. It's shocking to you, me. You probably have seen, and perhaps people listening have seen. If not, they should look it up. Berkeley uh, now has Jew-free zones. Places Jews can't go. Are you kidding me? No, I'm dead serious. Holy moly. Uh, and the, the same people will call Republicans Nazis without a hint of irony, without a hint of self-awareness, without a hint of hypocrisy. Right. There's uh, remember, no cognitive dissonance on that at all. None. None. Remember, yeah, 170 years ago, Ingalls said Jews were racial trash. Right. And Hitler pointed to Ingalls as justification for national socialism and said, you can't be a socialist if you're not an anti-Semite. Right. Right. I mean, this is this is kind of baked in the cake. But to your point about delegitimizing, pointing the other people as evil. Yeah, they will call Republicans Nazis while they create Jew free zones. That's insane. Um, we've had recently some prominent entertainers and athletes who made some phenomenally anti-Semitic comments. Mm -hmm. And they get slapped on the wrist. And, well, if they get slapped on the wrist. Well, yeah. Wait a minute. Berkeley created Jew free zones. Right. <laughs> Right. And these are the people you're worried about. Yeah. Right. I mean, seriously. Right. Right. It's like, yeah, there's just. So Berkeley, if we didn't meaning have, the city government or meaning the, the, is the, the university. university, the university. Yes. If you don't, the way it works is this. If you don't buy into this specific group of people's specific view of Palestinians, then you are not allowed to go there to these places at Berkeley on campus. That's. And of course, very few Jews believe what they believe these, these progressives believe about Palestinians. And consequently, they don't get to go to these places. It's, it's essentially a Jew-free zone. Unbelievable. I mean, you and I wouldn't be able to go there because we understand what they believe about Palestinians is these specific group of people is not true. But nonetheless, the, the point is, yeah, you've essentially created Jew-free zones at UC Berkeley. Well, and it, that seems to be not, not necessarily specifically focused on anti-Semitism or, or on, on Jewish folks, but that seems to be a recurring pattern where they will make up a sin, accuse you of having that sin, and then lose you on the basis of the made up sin that they accuse you of having. 
you know, it, racism is a, is a classic charge on this. On well, this. It, it, we've talked a couple of times, a couple of, in fact, all of our previous episodes, we talked about they redefined racism, right? Not to mean actual racism as in bigotry or discrimination, but to mean disparity of outcome. That is one definition, and I, I totally agree with you. And yeah. yes, I think we have, and we'll probably will continue to discuss that yes. in, in every single episode going forward because that is a, such a, a violation of that clause from the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. Yes. You know, so you cannot define the racism as that we're all created equal. Yes. So that, that's part of it. But it, I got accused of being a racist for wishing that Martin Luther King Jr. was still alive. Yes. I got accused of racism yes. for saying that. The reason I was later informed by a friendly African-American, a friend of mine who is an African-American, he said, because you're white, the name Martin Luther King Jr. cannot come out of your mouth in some people's minds. So the second that you reference that man in any way, shape or form, favorably or unfavorably, it does not matter. You are now a racist. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's one way. And, well, I mean, they just throw it around so indiscriminately. It's well, lost all meaning. And, and in that vein, you're right back to the idea that the history of racism in the United States is the history of the Democratic Party. And the history of the Democratic Party is a history of racism. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, okay, if you're white, you can't mention this. Well, wait a minute, right? It's part of my history, too. Well, yes. It's, there aren't even words for how absurd it is. No. There simply aren't. Well, and I think, to my way of thinking, this is part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast, is because you, you hear this stuff. Like, you're telling me about the two free zones in Berkeley. It's like you hear this stuff, and you're just, it's so absurd. It is so non-logical and so completely disconnected from reality that your brain just sort of shuts down. It's like, I don't even know how to categorize this. Yeah. I don't know how to process I, I know. This. It's almost like, well, they got to be making that up. No, no, I'm not making it up. They're not, no, I, I know that you're not. I know <laughs> that you're not. So it seems like that's almost like a psyop in, in a way well, to do some of this stuff. No, it's except probably less centralized. But if, if you have rejected the idea of objective truth and objective reality. Right. OK, your, your truth of reality is whatever leads you to power. Then there's no end to the absurdity. There's no end to the hypocrisy. Right. Right. There simply isn't. It's not, it's not even going to register. Was it Voltaire you. that said those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And on their behalf, obviously, um, commit those atrocities on their behalf in pursuit of their power. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, there's no words for the craziness. Right. It's just the tip of the iceberg. But I just it is just the tip of the iceberg. But what, what I want to emphasize and, and what I want us to, to expose and, and I, I this is going to take more than 10, 20, 30 episodes, I think. Sure. I mean, just exposing the, the skeleton underneath all of this, the, the framework, the underlying because there is an underlying logic there. How they prosecute all of this stuff doesn't, yes. doesn't have a lot of logic to it. But there is a game plan, as we've as we oh, been yeah. talking about in this, in this episode. There is a game plan. And from a, a rational, maybe I should put air quotes around that, but from a rational point of view, they're taking steps to pursue that game plan. And so they're, they're trying to solidify their power. They want to delegitimize the current culture yes. because the current culture is based in the Western canon. It's based in that rationality. Yes. And so they have to topple that completely. Right. The, the nuclear family, religion, yes. um, classical education, restrictions on government power, the belief in individual natural rights. Yes. All of those things. They have to, they have to topple all of that so that they can well, replace it with. 
well, the new man and the new culture. Right. I mean, that's really it. It's not just they have to topple it. They have to utterly de- delegitimize it. They have to make it abhorrent. You have to make it abhorrent. Yeah. Exactly. You have to make it abhorrent. And part of this, they do through emotion. Art? Well, <laughs> oh, oh, part of it, they do through emotion, right? And especially hatred and envy. So they, as we discussed before, so some of the history they present is purely fictional. But for the most part, what they simply do is omit facts from history mm-hmm. that would lead people to conclusions different than they want to draw. Okay. They want those people to draw. Right. And so you have a lot of omissions. It's like uh, in the previous episodes, I mentioned the 1619 Project is to history as flat earthers are to science. Right. Right. It's just it's it's absurd. And it's mostly absurd through omission, what they don't say. Right. Right. All these things they just omit. They don't tell you that the horizon does actually curve for a reason. Well, yeah. Yeah, well they just omit. And, and they lead people who consume that to believe things about history that are not true. Right. And they then use that knowledge. Just for, admit, do they admit people? Are they admitting they, context? What are they, what, what exactly well, are they, they just, omitting? Uh, simplest put, they omit facts. Okay. Right. They omit this whole debate that took place during and then in the wake of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution about slavery. Mm-hmm. Right. What, what really happened there? Right. Right. They're like, oh, there are a bunch of white people and they're all aboard slavery. So I kept it. Well, no, that's not at all what happened. Is that that's their primary lever for trying to topple the United States is, is a history of racism? Well, to a large degree. Yeah. Uh, but it's not just limited to that. It's the history of, of free markets and capitalism and yeah. free people. And uh, they want they want people to believe that previous American history was mostly very few rich people and very many poor people. OK. Right. When that wasn't really true at all. Right. right? That wasn't, wasn't remotely the case. Right. And uh, they want people to believe that your poverty is a foregone conclusion because of Unless some. they intervene. Yes. Well, right. well, they're going to make greater poverty, but that's not the promise. <laughs> but, but no, it's a foregone conclusion due to facts and realities you can't control. Right. Nothing can be farther than, from the truth. Right. I mean, nothing. Can be what other country on earth where can somebody who is, you know, homeless become a billionaire? Well, it, it happens. It, no, it, it does happen. And part of this is distracting people. As we said, this classical school of thought is oriented toward discovering what causes people to thrive, to be fulfilled, to be happy, to be successful. Right. They really need to refute that because happy, thriving, successful people reject progressivism out of hand. They reject being controlled. Well, they, they reject being controlled, but they, they reject the whole, it's, it's nonsense. Right. The whole idea of the it's, new man, because they, they, they're like, I'm doing good in this world. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. I don't need you to tell me how to do good in this world. I can do good in this world no, all on my own. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, if you're happy and thriving and successful and fulfilled, the last thing you need is a bureaucratic expert telling you what to do to be happy and successful and thriving and fulfilled. (laughs) I mean, honestly, is there anybody who rationally, objectively views that and doesn't understand 
how absurd that is that government bureaucrats would tell you what you need to do to be happy and thriving and fulfilled? It's the problem that I have with public service announcements. <laughs> when I was a kid, PSAs actually had a purpose. Yes. They were like, you need to call 311 before you dig in your yard or else you could electrocute yourself. Yes. You know, things like that. They yes. had a purpose. Now they're telling me how to survive a nuclear war. Like, okay, what's the agenda behind that? that. One? Yes. <laughs> um, I'd really like to know that. Saw one the other day and I'm, I'm trying to think what it what it was, but I just I watched it and I just shook my head. I was like, I don't need to be told that who spent money on this, <laughs> who spent my money on yes. this is, yes. is the other problem. So, yes. yeah, but they 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 run them and they must feel like there's some good there's some they're making some inroads with it. You know, somebody's reacting to it. I would think. Yeah. You'd think that they wouldn't just you know, run it just so they could be made fun of, but. Oh yeah, they would. It's, gov- <laughs> it's government. <laughs> <laughs> I forget who I'm talking about here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember, uh, yeah, you know, Patrick Moynihan was Democratic Senator, mm-hmm. but 1965 wrote a great article that all, all people of classical thought should embrace. And basically what he pointed out was, if you want a problem to never be solved, create a government agency to solve it. That's so true. <laughs> because it, it, we're back to incentives. Because yeah. government bureaucrats have zero incentive to solve a problem because if they solved it, they would become unemployed. Right. Right. Government has no incentive to solve any problem. In fact, the incentives all go the other way to increase the problem. Because if you increase the problem, you will get more budget. And more budget means higher salaries and promotions. Right. If you want a problem to be with you forever... Create a government agency. And this is why in all these years, we spent $30 trillion on the Great Society that Lyndon Johnson launched. Right. And we haven't moved. War on poverty. That's right. We haven't moved the needle on poverty in 50 years. Not only that, you were telling me the statistics about the height of Jim Crow. Yes. What the status was of black America, black Americans. Yes. At the height of Jim Crow, they were more likely to be married, more more likely to be employed, own a business, own a home. Right. Less likely to be incarcerated. Right. Right. And now, thanks to Johnson. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're right back to incentives. Yeah. Right. Even under Jim Crow. As horrible and evil a system as Jim Crow was, if you were a victim of Jim Crow, you had every incentive to go and succeed because that was your only path to a better life. Yeah. Right. And so you did. Right. Whatever constraints, whatever hurdles they put in your way, you tried to overcome them and succeed. Great because society, on the, the other hand, takes away all hope. Of yes. Actually being able to do that. No, exactly. Exactly. And as you pointed out before, great society provided financial incentives to have children out of wedlock mm-hmm. primary problem i that i see i'm sure there are many others but no that's no the that's, one that that's I a major on. problem and among other reasons and anybody listening if you haven't read charles murray i suggest you go read charles murray because he documented in many books so much of this with endless data but we have this many decades old correlation here between and it's doesn't matter race is irrelevant to it it's common it holds true across all races and it's a correlation between being born out of wedlock and being incarcerated. Mm. And they just marry each other. Right. Any group of people, you can choose it geographically, you can choose it by race, you can choose it time period, however you want to do it. The rate of out of wedlock birth mirrors the rate of incarceration to a remarkable degree. I would imagine it also mirrors the rate of success in education. Well, yeah. I would think, which, you know, kind of one's a, one's a precursor for the other anyway. And then 
so so let me let me make sure that I've I've got this right. They set up this policy, Great Society, to compensate. Let's let's take it from their perspective to compensate women for having children out of wedlock, which of course incentivizes them having children out of wedlock, which then creates the the conditions wherein success in school is less likely, incarceration is more likely, and then they call the education and the incarceration systems racist. Yes. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's about how it worked. Okay. And it's just, a, I mean, there's a Darwinian element to the welfare state in that the public housing is a great example. They created lots of public housing, places like Chicago and New York and Los Angeles, mm-hmm. these immense, giant public housing complexes. Right. And people would move in there, and some of those people would find employment, move up, move out, get their own home. Right. And then when they moved out, more people move in. And some of those people would get a job, move up, move out. Right. But over time, what happens is the public housing available fills up with people who are unwilling to move out. Right. <laughs> right? This is just permanent to them. Right. Right. I get a check. They give me a place to live. I'm good. Right. Right. This is as much as my ambition is going to take me. I am being incentivized not to do anything else with my life. Right. Right. And so whereas the first probably seven years of the Great Society, you see this reduction in the poverty rate and then it's just static for 50 years. Yeah. Right. And so you can see where, okay, this initial group of people got help, moved out, moved up. They were the focus group. And for the program. And then it just became static for 50 years. Yeah. Just static. Yeah. As we often like to point out. Well, how unintended those were is debatable. They they had probably a pretty good idea at the time what they were doing. Yeah. Right. That they were creating Creating a a, a massive permanent underclass. Right. Of people who are unemployed, unemployable, uneducated to a large degree. Right. Right. And it was their policies that did this. And that's what's so evil about it. Well, no, it's their policies. Yeah. That did it. There's this, uh, you know, I, I like statistics. Like <laughs> I like statistics. <laughs> so, um, but, but one of the more interesting statistics out there is statistically speaking, if you haven't worked by the time you're 20 doing something mm-hmm. for somebody for money, mm-hmm. statistically speaking, you're never going to work. Really? Yeah. There's something about that. Those teenage years where we learn that work ethic. Right. Right. Where you learn, okay, I have to go. I have to be here on time. I have to perform some function. Right. And I have to perform it satisfactorily and they will pay me for doing that. Right. We just, if you haven't done that by the time you're 20, chances are very small you're ever going to do that. Under the welfare system, if you make money, they cut your benefits. So why would you do that? Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then you have people whose parents have never done that. Right. So it never necessarily even dawns on them to go do that. Right. And all of a sudden you're 25 years old and you've never worked and you didn't graduate high school. And yeah, you're you're just looping through more poverty here. I think there's a there's a great deal of evidence for your comment that, that this is not unintended by them. No, they understand incentives. I know that they understand incentives because they they layer taxes on people who smoke. For example, (laughs) trying to reduce the number of people who smoke. When actually their incentive is to maximize the number of people who smoke because they get money from it. They can raise all the revenue. That's that's (laughs) probably true. But nevertheless, there are a number. Every time they raise the tax rate on on a pack of cigarettes, there are a number of people who say this is just too damn expensive. I'm not going to do it anymore. So they are disincentivizing continued smoking, but with the taxes, The, the tax code itself. And I'm speaking as a CPA. This is one of the things that I found fascinating yeah. about the tax code when I first got into it at the 
you know, grand old age of like 23 was how they use the tax code to mold behavior, social yes. behavior in the United States. And I thought that was fascinating. Then I thought about it for 10 minutes. It's like, that's terrifying. No, it is. <laughs> it, it really is. And so, okay, so this is true. And I doubt there's anybody on the face of the earth doesn't understand this is true. What you tax, you get less of. What you subsidize, you get more of. Surprise. Yeah. If yeah. you tax apples, you will get fewer apples. If you incentivize or subsidize oranges, you will get more oranges. If you pay people to grow oranges, you get more oranges. If you tax people, if they grow apples, you get fewer apples. Right. Right. So if you look at what we're incentivizing overall, we tax and punish productivity. <laughs> so much. And no, success. No, no, and exactly. And, and, we, other and we subsidize and, poverty. Yeah. And we subsidize in many cases, to be, to be honest, right? We subsidize dysfunction. Yeah. Right. We will give a financial reward to you to be dysfunctional enough. Right. <laughs> I mean, that, and so then we wonder, well, the why do we, get, I mean, as Thomas Sowell said, right, we pay people to fail in this country. Right. Right. And, and that's just true. And we would then wonder why we get more dysfunction, why we get more failure, why we get more poverty. Well, and the most dysfunctional among us, we elect a Congress. Yeah. <laughs> Repeatedly. <laughs> or we send to Hollywood. <laughs> or we send to Hollywood. But. <laughs> but, but it's true, right? I mean, if you look at it, if you want less dysfunction, less poverty, don't subsidize it. That's If you want more success, more wealth, more people doing better, don't punish it. So there, and I know that there are many scholars out there who've done yeoman's work in, in researching how to make this happen. I mean, there is a legitimate argument, even from a conservative point of view, for a legitimate social safety net. Sure. You know, and I think downtown Denver, for example, is a great example of how that social safety net does not work. No. Right. The way that it's currently structured. No, and there are countless examples other than Denver. But exactly. Yes, so nearly every major city. There's, there is, a, a, I think, a legitimate argument for that. Now, that function used to be performed in the United States by churches, by charity, yes. by, you know, women's auxiliary groups or, yes. you know, that kind of thing. That's, that's how it used to be done. And yes. the government took it over yes. and made a mess of it. Well, and the government made it automatic. Right. Right. If you don't seek employment, you're perfectly happy getting high all day. Right. Government will cut your check. Same as if you were seeking employment. Not getting high all day. Government doesn't care. Yeah. Right. They really don't care. And of course, we're back to bureaucrats in my hand. And the incentivization of bureaucrats exactly. is to get more people on those aid rolls because more people on these aid rolls means a bigger budget for the bureaucrats, more promotions, more raises, more power for them, more power for them. Yeah. That, so, yeah. Yeah. The bureaucracies are incentivized to do all the wrong things. And I want to point out, too, that. This does not only function in a government society, you know, relationship. Sure. This is, you see nonprofits out there. I'm thinking of, of a particular lobbying nonprofit, activist nonprofit that works on Second Amendment rights. They make their money when people are scared about losing their Second Amendment rights. Yes. And so they have zero incentive to actually get any legislation passed that protects Second Amendment rights. No, you're, no, you're, you're exactly right. And so that's it's it's hard to find people, people who want to legitimately do things to save the country or you right. know, anything like that. If it requires money and everything requires money to do all this stuff, then they have a, a built in incentive to right. continue the problem. So yes. they can continue make that money. No, that's right. Maintaining and creating crises is how these people raise money. Never let a crisis go to waste. That's right. They have yeah. no solution to 
solve the problem is all these people are willing to send them money. Right. Right. And people get scared and send them money. And yeah, that, and that's exactly how that works. It's the same perverse incentives. And of course, o- overall, because as a society, we're just awash in bullshit. We're also just awash in grifters. Yeah. I mean, it's just the truth, right? I, the other day... Certified fraud examiner here. Uh, That's how I make a living. <laughs> yeah. Before the... Back, oh, a couple of weeks before the most recent election, I had one day 912 emails. Holy moly. <laughs> and almost all of them were grifters around politics. Really? Send me money, send me money, send me money, send me money. <laughs> I have to protect you. Send me money and I'll fight for you. Send me money. I have to introduce <laughs> you to SaneBox. One of these, we'll, we'll get them as a sponsor or something. <laughs> introduce you to, to SaneBox. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're just awash in grifters. Uh, any, anywhere that there's a lot of money floating around, there's very little accountability for results. You're going to find those people. Well, that's right. And these people, like you said, they work off of fear. Yeah. Right. Which is a nice segue into what we're talking about. They have to delegitimize the culture. Right. Okay. <clears throat> we have this, this 5,000 year history of classical thought. Right. Of never thinking we have arrived at aha, the final truth, but constantly grappling with the truth, seeking the truth. Seeking how to best execute and implement that truth. Right. Okay. The system we have evolved into, or we're intended to evolve into, liberty. Right. right? Government is, the, the role of government is to protect your rights and property, defend the country, deliver the mail. It's right. about it. Right. Right. They could stop delivering the mail and I think we might be better off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But what that requires and what a free market requires, and you can't be a free people if you don't have a free market. That's absolutely true. Right. But what these things require is trust. Okay? And these people, and it's been true, communists, Nazis, fascists, everywhere, these mid-19th century German philosophies have taken hold, as it is with pro- progressivism today. The primary goal at delegitimizing the culture is destroying trust. Between people, between the between citizens of that people, culture, between yeah. the institutions, between. Yeah. 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 We just want to destroy trust because then we destroy the existing culture. I mean, if you want to fight it back, fight back against progressivism. Single best thing you can do is find trustworthy people and trust them. <laughs> right? That is that is the defense against these horrible ideas. That's why chaos bothers them so much. Um, I mean, it's, it's like why chaos and, and liberty, frankly, bothers them so much because other people are free to do things and you have to trust that they're not going to do something that harms you. Yes. Yes. And, that. And in that system, you have freedom of association, right? I don't have to associate with people who are not trustworthy. <laughs> right? I don't have to do business with people who are not trustworthy. And you don't have to be ruled by people who are not trustworthy. Exactly. And so, yeah, this whole system of Liberty is very dependent on people of good character. Right. That, that's really it. People who will do what they say they're going to do. People of good character who are willing to play within the rules that are established by the society as a whole. Constitution is one part of that. Social mores is another part of that. There are other. Well, you know, and I, I mentioned before this classical school thought, the Christian school thought are not the same, but they overlap considerably. They have influenced each other right. considerably. The Christianity is the idea do unto others. <laughs> right. Have them do that, you. Exactly. So, yeah. This is what society functions off of. That yeah, you, you can trust this person. It's not going to steal from you. Not going to betray you. Right. Not going to do things to make your life harder. At least not on purpose. Right. Right. That yeah. That you can know your neighbors. You can know your coworkers, etc. And, and they're they're decent, trustworthy people. 
That's what liberty runs off of. That's what free markets run off of, right? And so destroying that trust among people is paramount for progressives. And that's, that's just the truth. Yeah. And that's always been the case everywhere any of these ideas have taken hold is to destroy trust I, because they, they replace trust with government power. Right. Coercion. Force. Compulsion. And, yeah. Yes. But you have to act a certain way. And so the social credit system in China yes. is a destruction of trust. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's saying none of you are trustworthy. <laughs> right. That's what <laughs> well, that. if you want. If you want privileges. You're going to have to do what the government wants you to do. And right. we're tracking each little thing you do right. to make sure you do enough things we want for us to give you that little privilege. God, you could have just explained Facebook in that sentence as well. I mean, that's kind of and that's the problem. You know, I mean, there's our public squares are all online now. And, you know, that's that's where it happens. And that is where the little guy has the power. I mean, yeah. the, the, the Internet was supposed to be this great democratizing force that everybody now has a voice, right? Yes. Except you now only have a voice as long as Mark Zuckerberg thinks that you should have a voice. No, and I think I mentioned it before. Yeah. I mean, I got thrown in Facebook jail for it simply observing that you could go to Amazon and buy Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler, but you couldn't buy Dr. Seuss. Right. Just an observation. Just an observation. A true observation. <laughs> just, just an observation of a fact. Right. And... Boom. Yeah. Facebook jail. I went for three days. You're not supposed to tell anybody that. <laughs> You're not supposed to. They can go search it out for themselves, but don't like send them to do the search. You know, bad, bad keys. Yeah. It, yeah. it just shows the absurdity of this, this whole system that, yeah, Dr. Seuss is politically incorrect, but Hitler, you know, they're cool with that. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's not because they're great history buffs. We can look at the 1619 Project and know that that's not the case. No, so it, exactly. It's exactly. because they're anti-Semites, maybe. Well, know. well, you know, as, as our friend Tom often points out, right? If progressives ever, ever cared to venture into what Nazism actually was, what they actually believed, what they actually did, they might find them uncomfortable comparisons with themselves of course. and Nazis. Right. You know, there's, there's no way to argue somebody is a Nazi if what they're advocating for is freedom, free speech, free rights, freedom of action, freedom of belief. Right. And yet, yeah, the people who oppose those things. Right. The ones who want to take over the government and leave you alone. Yeah. 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 And I think uh, we spoke, I think, last episode. You say conservatives really explain conservatism. And I was thinking about that. Okay. Yeah, I think a five-year-old can explain liberty and conservatism. Leave me alone if I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. And the only thing I'm doing wrong is if I'm harming other people or their property. Not what the bureaucratic progressive experts claim as harm, but actual real harm. Right. 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 I mean, we've just, uh, like you mentioned before, striving for peak absurdity. <laughs> right. You, you have Masterpiece Bakery in Colorado. Oh, yeah. You have this poor fellow. He just makes cakes for a living and owns a bakery. And the state of Colorado set up this board. It's called the Human Rights Board, something like that. Something like that. Because he has refused to bake cakes that he finds violate his conscience. Right. He'll sell you a cake. He just won't lend his artistic talents to specifically decorate a cake in a manner that violates his conscience. Exactly. Right. And I, I don't know how many times now he's been hauled in front of that board and gone to court. You know, he's just harassed to death. He's been specifically targeted for that harassment. There are plenty of bakeries in Denver. Let's just be very clear exactly. about that. He's yeah. not the only guy in town. Exactly. And this one guy is just repeatedly harassed. Right. But here's the important point to that, I think. He's being repeatedly harassed because he refuses to violate his conscience. 
And if we really talk about what this, this whole idea of creating the new man is, mm-hmm. it's some expert somewhere deciding what your conscience should be. Well, that's very true. And if that doesn't scare the hell out of people, I, I don't know what should. Right? I mean, seriously, right? You, you may not make a- you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. I mean, that's that's the basis for that. Yes, nineteen eighty four. Look at look at Brave New World. You know, look at look at these things. Yes, and the idea isn't that you agree or disagree with what his conscience wants him to do. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. The point is, everyone is entitled to their conscience. Right. Everyone is entitled to act according to their conscience. You know, as long as you aren't hurting other people and hurting property, you are allowed to follow your own conscience. Progressivism at its core, these, all these ideas that like, say, stem from this 19th century German philosophy lay claim to your very conscience as their property. And, uh, well, and, and at its base, isn't that what the definition of the new man is? Yeah. Is to have a conscience that conforms. <laughs> exactly what to- that is. To, to what they want. Exactly what that is. A, a group of bureaucratic experts telling you what your conscience should be. And uh, it's remarkable how many people have bought into this already. It, <laughs> it really is it remarkable. Is. It is. It's terrifying. I mean, before 2020, I would have, and I think I did tell myself that the number of people who just mindlessly go along with whatever they're told is a lot fewer than what possibly we think they are, you know, based on, you know, knowing that I am somewhat in an echo chamber that I've, I've cut out some of these other voices, but watching what happened in 2020 brought it home to me very much. So that that is not the case that a vast majority of people are more than willing to have the government tell them what to go, where, you know, what to do, where to go, what to wear, how far to stand away from each other, whether or not to attend grandma's funeral, you know, I mean, they, they're, they're more than willing to be dictated to about, about those things and many other things. And that to me is terrifying, but you're right. It is a, it is a sizable portion of the population. It, it is. It really is. And what do those people do? Man, what do they still do? They defer to the experts. Yeah. The experts say, now we know with a high degree of confidence, nearly everything those experts said was either wrong or lies. Right. It was almost all absolute bullshit. Yeah. And for the most part, they were fully aware when they were saying it, that it was bullshit. And yet here we are. People simply can't bring themselves to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. (laughs) It's the great failing of our society right now. No, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And this is not an accident. Progressives created that part of the culture where it's now a sin to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You can never be wrong. No. You can be punished for things that you said 30 years ago, but you can never just say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Exactly. That, does not, that doesn't excuse anything. Exactly. It doesn't make, you know, you don't get any benefit from it no. um, in their culture. So. No, no, exactly right. Right. You can say things today that are 180 degrees from what you said last week and do so without a twinge of self-awareness mm-hmm. or conscience. Well, they can. They can. You and I can't. No, they can't. But yeah, you can't say the words, I'm sorry, I was wrong, no matter how obvious it was that right. you were wrong about something. That's just, yeah, that is the ultimate sin within progressivism. One day in my fantasy land, my, my new world, okay, I want to turn on MSNBC and watch those folks go, my goodness, how did we get that so wrong? We're so sorry. I mean, that would, that would be, then we know that we finally brought this back to reality. We bought, brought this back to, to something normal. Or, or then the alarm clock goes off. And then the alarm clock goes off. 
very true. And then I wake up going, why in the hell was I dreaming about MSNBC? That's, that's not right. <laughs> you know, I think let's go back to Walter Cronkite, who is sort of the gold standard for, for media before. I mean, and, and Walter was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And he may have been in some ways the harbinger of the current left media, but he did hold to some standards. And if he got something wrong, he would say, well, you know, if the sometimes. network got something wrong, he would say. Sometimes. Not every time. Yeah. So here's the but, problem you had when network news started. And it started really with radio. And it's just accelerated. Okay. Sure. Something happens in Moscow and the network news goes on the air at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. They don't really know what happened, right. but they can't go on the air and go, something happened in Moscow, but we don't know what it was. And so they go with something and then they never come back and say, well, we were wrong about that. Or they will rarely come back. And I used to do for a long time a certain kind of work and I had a particular window on the world. Mm-hmm. And I would say, at least in the world of what went on internationally, politics, and war, and 99% of what was on the news was false. <laughs> And that was 40 years ago. Holy moly. Right. So, yeah. Well, and we're talking about incentives. There's 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 reasons for that. There's reasons why the net news has become what it's become. Yes. So it it began when the FCC began, the Federal Communications Commission began and they started out handing out these on air licenses. Yes. You gave the news if you got received one of those night licenses, you gave the news as a public service in exchange for that license. Yes. You were not allowed to make money off of that. That was not a revenue maker for you. Right. When that requirement was dropped and they started putting advertisers on the nightly news and then on the news programs. And then now we have cable networks that are 24 hours a day, 24 seven full of ads. Yes. And in fact, that's the only Sirius XM channels that have ads is the the news channels. Everything has to be spectacular. It has to draw clicks. It has to draw eyes. It has to draw ears. Yeah, no, yeah. that's exactly so it. Stuff up. Yeah, exactly. And the more dramatic, bingo, that's what people want to click on. Exactly. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's really horrible what it's done to our culture. Yeah. In terms of the news, because it is to you and me, but it's part of their apparatus for creating for, for delegitimizing all of this stuff. No, exactly. 100%. Exactly. It's because, part of their part yeah, of their apparatus. Exactly. Because the, yeah, the primary goal: destroy trust in society, yep. delegitimize the present culture. Right. When you gain enough power, you take concrete steps to assure nobody delegitimizes or disrupts the culture you want to put in. Very true. Right. And, and so that's kind of the the other part of doing that. I, I was reminded. A few days ago, there's so many examples of this happening, right? You're, you're not quite old enough. <laughs> I am old enough to remember as a child, people like Jane Fonda, Noam Chomsky, John Kerry, mm-hmm. talking about what a splendid person Ho Chi Minh was and what wonderful people the Vietnamese communists were. And so there was a battle. Vietnam was a French colony. Mm-hmm. And there was a communist insurgency there led by a fellow named Ho Chi Minh and that Insurgency was supported primarily by Mao and communist China mm-hmm. at that time. Later, it'd be the Soviets. And the French fought the Vietnamese communists at a battle called Dien Bien Phu. And it was a French disaster. And they lost that battle and France had to withdraw from Vietnam. Just to give people who don't know a little background here. Right? Okay. okay. After Dien Bien Phu, Ho Chi Minh and the Vietnamese communists controlled the northern part of the country. They had solid control over northern Vietnam. Right. Literally the first thing they did, there were about 15,000 hamlets in North Vietnam. 
the Vietnamese communist, 1954-55, went to each hamlet in northern Vietnam and executed the largest landowner and the oldest person in the hamlet. Wow. Because two things that were respected in Vietnamese culture were land ownership and the elderly were revered. So you go to each little village, kill the oldest person and the largest landowner and say, very emphatically, you're not going to believe this anymore. That part of your culture right. is over. And we'll re- be replacing your culture with this culture based these 19th century German philosophers. Right. And they just keep popping up like bad pennies. Yeah. Just a a stark example Mm -hmm. that I was thinking of the other day. Because, yeah, I mean, you imagine. So you and I cannot even contemplate being so cold blooded as to go to 15,000 hamlets and kill the oldest person, largest landowner for no other reason than they were the oldest person and the largest landowner. Right. Just kill 30,000 people in cold blood, say, your culture's dead. You're now all going to adhere to what I think you should culturally adhere to. Right. But that's that's exactly what they did. I mean, so we think about examples, Nazism, Soviet Union, Mao's China. North Korea. But you, yeah, but you think about it, just Vietnam. Yeah. That was the first thing they did. Right. And yeah, and this idea that's bedrock to progressivism, Nazism, communism, et cetera, that humanity will always continue to advance and improve, regardless of what they do. Right. <laughs> I mean, no, humanity advances and improves. By a set of thoughts and incentives and actions, they don't, it doesn't just automatically happen. You don't get to just replace existing cultures and okay. existing systems that are functioning what you think sounds good and think that's going to continue to happen. I, I, I looked this up today because I was curious. You know, Cuba went to communist more than, well, gosh, almost 63 years ago that Castro took over. Wow. Right. What do you think the average income, monthly income is for a Cuban today? Monthly. Monthly income? Yeah. No a, idea. A little less than $30 a month. 30? Yes. That's the average income in Cuba. A little less than $30 a month. If you can imagine that, yeah, progress is guaranteed. Right. No, it's not. If you look at the standard of living in, in all these places was... So much higher. Well, so much higher in the West than any of these places. Right. And I had somebody, somebody we know in common who has since passed away, asked me probably four or five years ago, why did the Nazis do so well economically? And I said, they didn't. They just stole everything. Right. Right. I mean, it started out stealing from the Jews and anybody else they didn't like and giving it to the people they did like. And then, you know, you're robbing Poland and you're robbing Belgium and Holland and France and Yugoslavia and Greece and on and on and on. They're just taking what everybody else has to give to Germans. Right. You know, they're adding that to their GDP. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, gotta love Keynesian economics. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, that, that was it, right? None of these places actually they didn't produce value. No, they that's, what, that's what the GDP should measure is produced value. Yeah, it's not what it. Yeah, they didn't produce any wealth. No, no, nobody's life exactly. Nobody's life improved other than those at the top, and that's the other story about Cuba. The average income is a bit less than thirty dollars a month, but. It's not hard to go on social media and find photographs of the children of the Communist Party leaders partying in their bikinis on yachts. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. It's because they're stealing all the labor and the value created by everybody else in the country. Exactly. Right. That's how that works. Yes. That's how that's how they think it should work. Yes. Yes. I want to I want to bring this I want to bring this home a little bit and both literally and figuratively. I, I think it's important after all those examples to point out that. If your first act 
once you have power is to vanquish your political enemies and to make your populace cower in their boots. Yes. Whatever you're creating is not a good thing. No, it, it just it's categorically a bad thing. Yes. That's that's not collateral damage. That's not a transition period to a new society. That is pure and simple. It's evil. Yes. And anybody who aspires to create a society where they have the same values as the people who went out and did those things ought to reconsider their life choices. Yes. Am, am, am I wrong? No, you're, you're exactly okay. right. It's beyond that. It must create a decline in all areas of well, society. Of course it is. Because among other things, how often do you learn things from people who think exactly like you do? <laughs> right? We only learn from people who think really differently right. or have different information than we do. Right. If you're mandating everybody have not only the same actions, same thoughts, but the same conscience, nobody's going to learn anything ever. There will be no improvement. There there can't be. And that's on purpose because the whole basis of these ideas of ending the chaos is to bring about central planning, not just of the economy, but of everything. Right. And so you can only centrally plan a static society. So sometimes I say these people believe, have to believe, and one of the great errors is believing that humanity is both static and linear. So they believe progress is linear. Nothing they can do will interrupt progress, right? All these examples, contrary to that, they still believe that. That's that's bedrock belief to progressivism. They also believe society society must be static to be centrally planned. You can't- Too much chaos otherwise. Exactly. You can't centrally plan a dynamic society. (laughs) It's one or the other. And so because they, they fully believe central planning is the key to ending the chaos, you end up with a static society and any static society just declines quickly. Many years ago, Kurt Vonnegut wrote a short story. When I say short, I mean short. It was four pages long, but they managed to make a full length movie out of it. It was absolutely fascinating. The the story was called Harrison Bergeron, and it was set about 100 years from now. And so about 200 years when he wrote it, I think, from now in the future. Well, 150 years from when he wrote it in the future of the United States. And it's a society where everyone is absolutely equal absolutely equal. So if you have really good eyesight, they put bad eyeglasses on you so you can't see well. If if you're too smart, they put this like hearing aid thing in your in your ear and play a, a really loud surprising noise like every 10 or 15 seconds randomly so that you cannot form a coherent thought, continue to form a coherent thought. If you're gifted at dancing, they put weights unequal weights on, on your legs and arms so that you can't dance gracefully. That's what they, they viewed as a perfectly equal society. Nobody's above anybody else, except that there are people above. Of course. Of course, there always are. And that's the central planners. So Harrison Bergeron, the, the titular character, ends up, he's too smart. And they keep adjusting his headband that's supposed to make him dumb. And, and he just cannot get dumb enough. He can't get down to a C. He keeps getting A's and B's. Dang it. So, so they recruit him to come into basically Plato's guardians. I mean, that is basically what it is, is, is the guardians, the, the philosopher king. And, and, and he's part of the guardians of, of you know, the city state. And it's a, it's a fascinating story that, you know, there's a lot of action and stuff like that. You can't even find it on DVD. I found it on YouTube once, I think, like a video of a video playing. It was so bad, which I think is interesting that you can't find that because it was um, Samwell, the guy who played Samwell in, yeah. uh, in The Lord of the Rings. 
So this is not an unknown actor. Right. You can't find this movie anywhere. And it's I, I wonder sometimes because it has such an effect on me. I wonder sometimes if it's because it hit too close to home. This is the effects of the pursuit of what they're trying to pursue. This is this is where they're aiming. Is this really what you want? And it seems to me that all we can do, you know, based on our conversation here this afternoon, the most the most patriotic thing you could possibly do is be ungovernable. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I told you before, when they put the COVID restrictions in. Yeah. Other than I had to take my beer to go yeah. rather than drink it there. There was zero effect on my life. Right. <laughs> I just did everything I wanted to do anyway. Well, I moved out of the state. There so. you, go. <laughs> you know, it's um, get your own mind around what you believe and stick to that. You know, learn and grow and, and read and be, you know. But Intellectual curiosity is the enemy of progressivism. It is. It really is. Because the, the whole goal here, progressives believe everyone thrives where there is equality of outcome. Yeah. Not freedom to think and do and believe as you wish. And it's really interesting. We can get into this in a future episode too, that there are scientific studies out there, like actual science, not fake science, actual science that shows that exactly the opposite is true. You know, you get into flow state when you're being challenged. Yes. When, when you're not exactly, you know, swimming along absolutely 100% sure of every single thing that you're doing, that's when you create the conditions to thrive. Right. And that's, so it's, it's exactly opposite, but yes. they don't follow the science. They follow whatever no, gets come them on. power. These are progressives. That's their mantra. Follow the science. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's only their mantra when we're not following their science. Well, that's only the mantra then. Yeah, no, exactly. You know? Yeah. Let's be clear. I mean, to be really serious about this topic, right? Nazis, communists had all kinds of science for why some people should be abused. Yeah. I, I mean, they really did. Yeah. Right. Endless numbers of PhDs and MDs saying, well, you know, here's the science for why these people right. are inferior and they need to be abused. Right. So. And they're just technocrats, right? That's right. Yes. <laughs> yes. As Albert Speer, Hitler's armament minister said, I'm, I was just a technocrat. Slave labor, all these other things he did. I was just a technocrat. Unbelievable. It, it is. Yeah. But what's more unbelievable is that. I feel, and maybe, and I know you, you're more optimistic than I am, but I feel like we're watching it all happen again, which is why we're doing this. Well, we're, we're watching trying to get it happen again. Out. And every other time we've been through these bouts of insanity in this country, right? we've ended up with more liberty, more sanity, because these ideas suck. <laughs> I mean, that's just the bottom line. Yeah. And they produce misery, poverty, and death. And people do not like misery, poverty, and death. Not generally. No. And so people... Americans have a long history of jettisoning these ideas. Right. When it becomes obvious, they produce misery, poverty, and death. Well, we will reject it again. Then. We will. Well, we'll reject it again on the next episode. How's that? <laughs> I, I reject it every minute of every day. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining us. And really, thanks, Keith, for, for this. I always have so much fun talking to you about these things. You make me smarter every time I'm in the same room with you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or at least you raise the IQ level of what's well, the, what's in the room. <laughs> and thank you for the beer. Oh, you're absolutely you're welcome. What are you drinking today before we go? It is Wyoming Brewing Company. Wild Wyoed West. Wyoed West. <laughs> W-Y-O-D That's right. West. It's a Scotch ale. WWBC Kilted Cowboy Scottish Ale. There you go. It's good. Local brew. Okay. All right. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you guys for joining us. And uh, I hope that you will continue to tune in and we'll talk to you next week. 